That Force Radio. That Force Radio is rated M for mature. Or should that be immature? Hey guys, Dustin Wint. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Paul Dini. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. You're listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Tom King. I write Batman Bitch. And this is Bat Force Radio. Welcome back to Bat Force Radio, the Batman and DC podcast with no limits. We've got another fun one tonight, so let's take a quick look at the roundtable. And don't worry, guys, uh, I think we're still the cool ones for not having anything better to do on a Saturday night. <laughs> but we've got Bat Force Tom in California. What's up, dudes? The Bat Force Times in New York. And I'm Robin Cross in Canada. Okay, tonight's guest is an Eisner Award-winning artist known for his work on DC characters like Flash, Green Arrow, and Robin, as well as He-Man crossovers with both Thundercats and the Injustice universe uh, that really sort of almost fixed the entire Injustice universe, the whole problem there. Uh, his work on a trilogy of Batman Ninja Turtle crossovers with James Tynan led to an animated movie adaptation in 2019, but tonight he is slumming it with us. He's Freddie Williams. <laughs> hey, guys. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Oh. Thanks so much for taking the time to be here. How's life? My pleasure. Um, it's good. Uh, keeping up with work and about to do a whole bunch of uh, conventions back-to-back, but... So it goes some years, um, and uh, glad to be on here. Thanks, thanks for letting me come on. We really appreciate it. Uh, you've probably got what, like C two E two coming up, and and all that stuff. I've got um, Fan Expo Vancouver, so that's Canada, and then we go to the Hawaii show, like the Amazing Aloha Con. Then I'm going to a show in uh, Lubbock, Texas, and then after that, we're going to Australia for two weeks for two shows there. And then we come back to the Kansas City, Missouri area, which is where I'm local. And then there's another show, a three-day show there called Planet Comic Con. So it's um, it's uh, six shows in six weeks. And so it's every single weekend we have. Yeah, it's going to be – we've never done anything like it. Uh, my wife and I have not. So this is going to be um, a test of endurance, but hopefully we'll, <laughs> we'll uh, do a good job. And we won't uh, just fall apart uh, right after we step off the plane or something. So. But uh, you've, you're picking a great time of year to to get out of Missouri and get to a couple tropical locations. That is true. Yeah, the the uh, we did I did a press junket on uh, like some Australia morning news uh, stuff the other day, and they uh, so it was of course you know via phone, and they were saying that they're having like the worst heat wave there, and of course they're having a lot of uh, <laughs> fires. It's finally getting under control, yeah. and I said uh, you know well it's terrible about the fires, but I could really use some heat because here it's been below freezing. And he said, "Be careful what you wish for," you know. <laughs> so I guess they're having quite the heat wave there on top of uh, just the the sort of crazy nature uh, natural fires and stuff. So, and and if it's hot enough that they're unhappy with the heat, ugh. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I, I'm I'm excited. We have a bunch of friends in in Australia, so uh, and that the the fires have been getting under control, and I guess they're getting close to their forecast says that it's going to be uh, cooling down. So um, that that might be pretty boring to hear from the listeners at home, but I'm I'm excited to go there because I'm getting to go to Australia after you know it's been 2016 was our last time down there, so I'm getting to see a bunch oh, yeah. of friends and 
hang out with you know other comic book geeks. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's hard for people to make it uh, down there. So whenever they get you know somebody that they really really want to see, it's a uh, it's a treat for them. So that's really cool. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and I'm looking forward to it. So, has your wife done um, many shows with you? Like, does she normally go and do shows with you? Yeah, she does the majority of the shows. She's my business partner and my full time cool. uh, art assistant and. She helps me go. out quite a bit, and we travel together and stuff. So um, we right. get along very well, fortunately. Um, and she's doing all but the Texas show with me. Um, that cool. one I'm going to do with one of my best friends. He's going with me. But it's, I was uh, going to say, man. What's that? Convincing. Oh, sorry. So I just said, no offense, Texas. <laughs> she doesn't want to go to Texas. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Not that, actually. That, um, uh, she's just going to be here uh, preparing since Texas is right before the Australia show, she's uh, staying here to do all the packing and stuff like that. So cool. Yeah. No offense. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> Congrats on winning the Super Bowl, by the way. Oh yeah. There was a sports game <laughs> <laughs> and somebody won. Yeah. What game? <laughs> I'm not totally oblivious to it, but I'm very, I'm not at all into sports. So I, I heard like, you know, my wife went over to a uh, Super Bowl, party and and she had uh, she was having a great time and apparently the game when it ended there was just a ruckus outside of the studio and fireworks and su- a few gunshots i could okay. hear some gunshots and oh, then man. a couple of what had to have been like quarter sticks of dynamite or something like <laughs> so i'm not even joking like my cat ran out of the studio and like the walls had shaken i could feel it in my chest i was like oh i guess we won you know, um, and then, you know, my uh, Kiki, my wife, got a hold of me and was very excited. So she filled me in officially. But uh, it's it's very it's great for everyone who's into sports. I'm just not particularly into sports. Yeah, yeah it's it's funny you mentioned that because uh, the Kansas City Police uh, Twitter account verified Twitter account tweeted, guys, it's a Super Bowl, not the purge. <laughs> yeah that's that's appropriate <laughs> it sounded crazy outside yeah <laughs> so i thought it got kind of wild uh well the kind of the thing that i like to start off with uh talking to people about is was there one particular thing like was there a moment in your young life that made you think oh look at this i this is what i want to do i, I want to be an artist definitely yeah i i had always had an aptitude or an interest in it from the time i was you know, a kid, and I would sometimes ask the my teachers if I could stay in from recess just to draw. So, and and they would let me usually because it's such a quiet activity. Um, and so I always had an interest in it. But uh, whenever I was around fourteen years old, I I saw Jim Lee's X Men number two seventy two, which was a part of the Extinction Agenda. Um, and uh, we had had a garage sale that day, and I took some of my uh, you know some of the money I'd made from the garage sale. On a bike, went up to the local sort of convenience store, and on a spinner rack, that's where I saw X-Men 272, and I opened it up, and I saw that two-page spread. It's where uh, it's during the Extinction Agenda where all the X-Men, some of the X-Factor and stuff, are uh, on stage in Genosha being held on trial. And it's got um, – it's a double-page splash, and there's all these like little name boxes basically to identify this cast of 30 characters or whatever it is. And it just stopped me in my tracks. It was just so well-drawn and had so much, I don't know, detail and energy. And I'd never seen anything like it. I'd seen comics, of course, but this was the first time I had seen Jim Lee, um, his work. And so that was the book I picked up that day. Uh, And then within like a month or so, I uh, had gone to my local library and saw ElfQuest 
it was like a collection of ElfQuest, um, like a graphic novel. And uh, ElfQuest is drawn by Wendy Penny. And it was drawn back mainly in the 70s. Of course, she drew stuff, you know, she's drawn stuff in the 80s, 90s, whatever. But uh, this book was in the 70s. And, but it was ahead of its time. It looked fresh. The, the inking style was slightly dated, but not by much. And other than that, it was ahead of its time or contemporary for the time I was reading it. And it still looks fantastic. We have artist editions and all the stuff of the ElfQuest stuff. So the combination of Jim Lee's X-Men and Wendy Penny's ElfQuest made me feel like I wanted to draw comic books for a living. And um, I started taking it pretty seriously after that. And then, you know, it, it's a long road <laughs> after there. And uh, I, I do know that uh, a little bit of your history was that you had brought a portfolio with you to a con and, uh, and, and got yourself uh, in the door just via the, the quality of your work. It's yeah. I'm, we've all heard of stories of people knowing a person who knows a person, you know, to, to help them get in or they make a contact and then that person puts in a good word for them. And, um, those are very legitimate and very handy ways sometimes of getting in. But I just, I got in essentially by what would we consider the front door. So I, I got in, yeah, uh, taking a portfolio to the San Diego Comic-Con of 2005. And uh, there was an art director there named Richard Bruning, who worked at DC Comics at the time. Um, and he liked my work. He gave me a, a mostly favorable review. Of course, there was still lots of stuff to work on, but you know, he felt like I was ready. And um, over the next couple of months, I stayed in contact with him, showing him updated pages that I was working on that kind of addressed his criticisms because he had, he had made some good points in our review. And then that's what gave me, um, he got my work in front of Peter Tomasi, who at the time was a senior editor at DC comics. And, um, uh, Peter is the one who gave me my first work, which was on seven soldiers, Mr. Miracle, uh, which was written by Grant Morrison and talk about pressure. <laughs> talk about pressure. <laughs> my first gig at DC, you know, um, no pressure kid. And we had, uh, the book was behind schedule. That's one of the reasons I got hired. And so I had three weeks to draw like um, 30 pages worth of work. So it was I had to finish up like eight, uh, eight pages in issue two. There was 24 pages in issue three. And then there was a cover that I needed to do. So I think whatever that adds up to. But it was a very fast turnaround. And, you know, that's what launched me into D.C. And um Oh man, uh, what, thinking about that now actually gives me a little bit of anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no way. Um, but it was it was great, and I I'm really happy that it that it worked out. Did and uh, and didn't wasn't that book uh, the Eisner win? Correct. That yes. series. Oh. So yeah. uh, so Seven Soldiers the series, which involved Frankenstein and and Mister Miracle and the Bulleteer, I think is the name of the character, and and several other characters. All of them were an interconnecting series that Grant Morrison wrote. Uh, Grant Morrison wrote all of them, and they all connected together. And that series won the Eisner. And so I, w I won like one-sixteenth of an Eisner, <laughs> something like that. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> um, which was, you know, even that is an honor. I, I heard about it later. It was, uh, and I was like, oh, wow, neat. But I wasn't like at the ceremony or anything. So That's a, a great way to kick in the door, though. Yeah. Were you able to have like any kind of back and forth with uh, Grant Morrison during that time? Unfortunately, no. I mean, I, I sent him a uh, like the script for issue four was was running kind of behind. So uh, Peter Tomasi, the editor, had 
had told Grant to just send it directly to me as soon as he was done, and I got it over a weekend. And I um, did something that I've since been told I, I shouldn't do in general, which is don't don't fanboy out. I think is the advice I got. Right. <laughs> so I, I, sent a, I sent him this email, and I'm sure he was like, "Who's this guy?" You know, um, because uh, I was basically a fill-in artist for the original artist, which was Pascal Ferry. He was originally going to be drawing Mr. Miracle, and um, through us, uh, you know, several series of circumstances, he ended up over at Marvel, and then some other stuff happened. So. Um, he never replied to that email. Uh, Grant Morrison did not. But I, um, in the uh, script for uh, the, the fourth issue, which is the final issue of, of Mr. Miracle, um, I don't know if, if Grant Morrison was just feeling you know, particularly wordy that day, but he had all these asides. It would be like sort of uh, uh, his train of thought. He was just sort of rambling in the, in the, tech, uh, in the, uh, in the script. And then would say, but anyway, even in the script, but anyway, and then get back <laughs> to what he was saying. So uh, that kind of felt like a, a back and forth, but it wasn't That's really. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it was just kind of a, it was an interesting way to see how another person would write because nobody's written like that since I worked with Mark Wade and James. Uh, I, <laughs> I was about to say Tinian, but I think it's Tinian um, and, you know, Adam Beechin and Tim Seeley and all these uh, great writers that I love to work with. Um, and uh, Mark Guggenheim and uh, Fred Van Linte, uh, but none of them write like that. I've never seen anyone write yeah. almost like they're in a journal and you're reading it and there happens to be a script in the middle of it, you know? You kind of see in his like stream of conscious almost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that was really, that was entertaining. What was, uh, what did, what did like initially, how did it get brought up to you that, oh, by the way, you're going to be drawing these pages for a Grant Morrison book. What was like your reaction to that? I felt intimidated, but I felt like there, there's been several times in my career in general, I'm very like, basically I, my whole life is about drawing comics and that's been my main interest. And so I'm, I'm very excited to get started on a project. Like my ambition just, uh, kind of kicks in and I just can't wait to get started, especially, uh, now, about halfway through, I feel like I'm inside of an abyss, and <laughs> I'm like, "Oh my god, I'm, I'm exhausted," and I'm still, I'm only halfway through. Um, but you know, uh, anyway. So at the beginning, though, whenever I first got the phone call from Peter Tomasi, see, I at the time I was working at Hallmark Cards. That was my my full time job, which is located here in Kansas City. And um, I got a call on Friday, which is normally my day off. I worked four tens at Hallmark. And I had Fridays off. So I got a phone call from a number I didn't recognize and I answered it and it was Peter Tomasi. And he said, you know, I remember his tone of voice, but I can't do accents and stuff. But he has a New York, a bit of a New York accent. And he he had said, um, you know, I saw your portfolio. I think it looks great. And I'd like you to finish up the he was like, I'd like you to uh, finish up the Seven Soldiers, Mr. Miracle series. Damn. And yeah. And the way he was saying it was I. it almost sounded like he thought I would just be like, oh, okay, yeah, no big deal. But I, I was like, Re really? Yeah. <laughs> um, please do. And and uh, this is the first time I've, I've said this to in, in, in uh, any interview. But he um, apparently he sent the reference and script and all that stuff to the wrong address somehow. <laughs> oh, shit. And so like a couple days went by because he said, I'm going to FedEx it today. You should have it on Monday. And I was like, I can't wait, you know. Um, but uh, the, the package didn't come. And then I was like, uh Oh, either I was afraid that something had fallen apart, meaning maybe they decided not to hire me or something, oh or maybe I 
maybe I gave the wrong answer or something. And so I, cause I had taken Monday off from my regular work at Hallmark to be home and just ready to dive into this project. And, um, so I waited until Tuesday just in case it was like, maybe I misunderstood him and I still hadn't had it. So I, I called him and very sheepishly said, oh, I still haven't had it. And he was like, really? Oh, I thought you already had it and you were working by now. So he sent, either oh, sent it again or maybe the first time it never got sent. I don't know, but I verified my address and I, I got right on it. It was, uh, this was October of 2005. So it's very in my mind because of how impactful it was in my life. Are they still doing it that way where they mail stuff out like that or they mail out? I think it's creator dependent, but in general, they're probably not. They're probably, I I could call, uh, email or call or whatever and request like a packet of DC paper. (laughs) Um, that would be maybe the typical thing that they would mail, but there, I think there are some older artists who, um, Maybe not all older, but uh, you know, mostly it would probably be older artists who are used to getting a physical right. mailed to them or physical reference material or something. But for the most part, it's it's all email and then FTP and stuff at, on the on the back end once you're ready to upload. Yeah, I would imagine just like opening my mail and getting a packet that wasn't supposed to be for me, <laughs> and it's like the script and all this stuff from like DC Comics about an upcoming project, and I'm just like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah if if it got shipped to somebody else i wonder what they yeah. thought if it ever did get to some place or you know it's likely i think that they maybe they just didn't ship it the first time or something i don't really know i to be honest i don't really know and i don't even know if peter would remember at this point because it's been you know 15 years or whatever so Close what a to way that. to what a way to start man that's crazy <laughs> <laughs> thanks yeah i uh got really lucky with that and i i kind of owe my career to you know, uh, double booking schedules and artists who, you know, relate and stuff like that. So I, uh, I have made sure to never miss a deadline. And so far I haven't missed any deadlines. I've had some deadline extensions where I've asked for a few extra days. Uh, but I usually do that like halfway through the deadline cause I can project into the future how much I'll, you know, how much time I'll need. Um, right. but I've officially never missed a deadline. So I'm, I'm happy about that. I, I would think that the better thing for you to do would be to sort of pay it forward Miss some deadlines so that some other new guy gets a chance. <laughs> um, no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, that would be, uh, I don't know. I, it, it would make me not be able to sleep at night. The idea that I'm behind on a, on a deadline, it, it ruins my personality. I, get, I become uh, very short and curt and get no sleep and just work until it's, because you can work out that problem. You can just work until you got caught up, you know. Yeah, it's um, have you I think like it seems like there's been some books uh, both with like Marvel and DC where they've been double shipping a month. But you've been lucky to have been on projects, at least it seems recently, where um, like you're the only artist on it. You know, you're not double shipping. It's a monthly title. Has there been situations where you feel just like completely overwhelmed, though, where like your office is like crumbling on top of you? (laughs) There has been a few times. Yeah, I mean. Like I had said earlier, as far as, you know, halfway through a deadline, I'll start to feel a bit overwhelmed. Um, But usually at the beginning of a project, that's where the most work and creativity has to start because you're designing characters at the same time you're coming up with rough layouts and you're perhaps giving feedback to the writer for for story or plot if if they're open to that sort of thing. And um, 
that can feel the most scattered because your your brain's trying to work in several different ways at the same time, at least for me. Uh, I have a very compartmentalized way of thinking or, or working. So I usually like, you know, would rather think about design stuff separate from other types of creative things because it's just a different function or something. Um, but I, I think with about halfway through the first Batman Ninja Turtles was probably where I felt the most like, uh Oh, what have I gotten myself into here? Because, um, <laughs> uh, the first issue was drawn almost without a deadline in mind. It was like, um, uh, Jim, Jim Chadwick, who was the editor for the project, who I owe a huge debt to because of, um, you know, him choosing me to draw that project really changed the trajectory of my career in a, in a great way. Um, but he, you know, we drew the first issue kind of freeform a bit where I was telling him when I would get things done. And then after I got the first issue done, I remember um, I was working on the what I call uh, like basically spot blacks were of the second issue. So I had done what I call wireframes, which are like structured drawings for all the second issue. And then I was like Xing out stuff. My my wife Kiki helps me um, like with ink assist and stuff. So she'll like fill in large areas of black and stuff. And I was Xing all this stuff out. And I got the email that had the schedule for the second or for the rest of the series. And I, a cold shiver went down my spine because (laughs) ink wash is a very laborious and time consuming process. And this was the first series that I had drawn in ink wash. And so I was already feeling a little bit of fatigue that I had not felt, uh, in series that I was using a more simplified art style. And so, uh, the real test of that sort of, I don't know, the real test of your, of your abilities or something is to be able to maintain the same style throughout or improve upon it ideally. And, uh, that was very scary. Now it it ended up working. And, uh, a large part of that is, is my wife Kiki helps me out a lot. So she'll help scan in the pages and fill in blacks and help me with, uh, color flats because I was doing colors for the covers and, uh, a whole bunch of stuff. She'll template pages for me. And I mean, uh, she, uh, does almost everything at the house that's not drawing. So uh, counting on her to help me help to, to take some of the pressure off. Yeah, that sounds lucky that you got her right there. That's awesome. I agree. Um, it is awesome. And I'm very lucky to, you know, to have her around. And she she sometimes feels embarrassed whenever I mention that stuff because she, she says, that's okay, you don't have to mention it. Like, meaning she's not craving the recognition, but she definitely deserves it. <laughs> definitely. I mean, it, I, I know that uh, it was a definite look that that first series for sure came out with. Um, was there a, what's, what was the decision behind doing it all ink washers? Is that just your decision and you wanted to see how it would look? It was, um, let's see, I had done an eight page short story for, of Conan, uh, back when dark horse owned the rights to publish Conan. I did an eight page short story, and it was all in ink wash, and I even colored it uh, as well. And that was my proof of concept. I had been doing some ink wash stuff before that, and I just enjoy the style. It's very versatile, and it, it, there's you never I, I never get bored with it. There's always something mm-hmm. different with it. And um, since the original Eastman Laird Ninja Turtles, which is to me the Ninja Turtles, that's my Ninja Turtles in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, the original black and white stuff had a very gritty feel. And if you're not looking real close, it looks like it's in gray scale, but it's actually a bunch of individual lines called uh, duo shade. It kind of creates a half tone in the old black and white printing process. Uh, but when you look at it from further away, it, it looks like gray, 
grayscale, and then there's all this spatter, so it's very gritty. That feeling seems it just worked for the Ninja Turtles. And I had already done a few, uh, like I had done a cover for IDW and some like pinup pieces and stuff of the Turtles in that style, and so it worked. And Batman is very versatile, and you can go pretty gritty with him and his surroundings and stuff. So um, when I had, so this is how lucky I was. Um, I had heard for like two years, Bobby from uh, IDW, who's the editor for the Ninja Turtles, had mentioned to me, yeah, we might be doing some crossover stuff with, uh, you know, stuff at IDW and and DC Comics. Um, but since it had been two years since he had first told me that, I assumed that that deal had fallen through because that kind of stuff falls apart all the time, you know, right. business stuff. And well, then one day I was on my on Twitter and I saw that there was um, an announcement uh, of a Green Lantern Star Trek crossover, and so that's you know DC and IDW. And I thought, oh, well, if this crossover is happening, there's probably other uh, – the the sort of legalese has probably been worked out, and there's other stuff that's in the works too. So I emailed Jim Chadwick, my editor at the time, and I didn't know he would be involved in these. I just emailed him anyway and said, hey, I heard about the Green Lantern Star Trek thing. If there's other crossovers say, you know, or like a Ninja Turtles Batman thing, I'd love to draw it. Keep me in mind. And then I linked yeah. him to – uh, the Ninja Turtle stuff that I had drawn on my website is all ink wash and stuff. And now that day he replied and he said, okay, great. We'll keep that in mind. But later oh. he said, uh, we joked in the office that you must have been psychic because we were talking about artist choices for that series that day. No way. And my email just happened to come in at the right time. And I never have good timing, by the way. Wow. <laughs> I always have bad timing, you know, where uh, once Mike Carlin told me, yeah, we were talking about you for a, uh, Grant Morrison written uh, Superman book, but uh, we thought you were busy with other stuff. And I was like, oh my God, I couldn't get it out of my head. This was years ago. Uh -huh. Like I couldn't get it out of my head and I kept emailing Mike and I was like, are you sure there's no chance that this could still happen? And he <laughs> wrote back and he said, you know, no, the decisions have been made. And, you know, if I, if I knew it was going to eat you up this much, I would have never told you, you know, like that. Oh was man, yeah. That would be like to make me feel good that I was in the running, but I just freaked out. Anyway, with the Batman Ninja Turtles thing, you know, Jim Chadwick had joked that I must have been psychic. I'm not, of course. Uh, and I basically this was a couple months before we actually started. So um, the the series was already they had already chosen James as the writer, but he was still working on outline ideas and pitches and stuff like that of which direction to take it. And I was I had it in my mind that the series was going to fall apart or that another artist who was of higher profile was going to kind of muscle me out of the way or something. I was convinced uh -huh. it was going to happen um, because a couple, you know, like a month would go by right. and I wouldn't have heard of anything. And I'm like, Oh, I've probably lost the project. You know, I just know it's happened. And then I would check in and they'd say, no, it's, you know, everything's good. Um, so uh, I did like two covers, the covers for the first two issues. And those were used for, sort of my proof of concept, like, so it'll be ink wash, and, and I colored them, so I was like, and this is what it looked like in color, and they're like, yeah, looks good, looks fine to me. Like, they were very open and just freewheeling with, you know, either James and I were doing exactly what they wanted, or, the, you know, they just agreed with what the, our approach was, or they weren't keeping that close of an eye on it. I really don't know. Right. <laughs> Um, I would like to think it's because we're doing exactly, you know, we were naturals for the project, but I don't really know that for sure. You, you, so you had already been chosen as the artist, or right? You weren't like just doing this to show them, oh, this is what I could do? No, I had already been chosen. Okay. But I 
was making clear to them that ink wash was the specific art style I was going to draw okay. this in. And then I drew um, like a series of style guides for myself where I was making clear to them, this is how I'm going to draw Batman. Are you okay with this? Mm. I'm, this is how I'm going to draw the turtles. Are you okay with this? Because these are you know important intellectual properties. I wanted to make sure that my intentions were clear going into it. And they just said, yeah, it looks great. So, wow. yeah, it's surreal when I think about it because of how big of a change that made in the trajectory of my of my career and my life well, and everything. Yeah, I wanted. So we want to ask you about that. I remember being at San Diego. Was that 2016 when it was announced? Yes. Uh, we, no, no, it was at the. Um, no, it was 2015. 2015. So I remember being at San Diego 2015, and it was like an eruption. No, mm. like w no movie. No trailer, nothing else was getting as much word of mouth at that show as much as Batman Ninja Turtles crossover. That was literally the biggest news. Like, by all accounts, anywhere you turned, whoever you were talking to at that show, that was the biggest news that day when it was announced. So I remember it, like, blew the F up. You know what I mean? How, <laughs> how far into the process were you already when you started to see the expectation build for the book? Uh, I had the first two covers done, and then I had style guides done, and that was it. Wow. So when I say style guides, I mean like an 11 by 17 sheet of paper for each right, of the main characters. characters, just sort of exploring different expressions and shapes and proportions, yeah. and that was it. So, And I did not have the script yet. I'm assuming that James oh was God. writing. Yeah, exactly. So it was like um, a lot of positivity and people coming over and saying, do you have the covers here? And I did. I brought them. <laughs> And I showed them to them and they were like, oh, my gosh, this is what it's going to look like. And I said, yeah. And they, they liked that the majority of the people who came over liked that I was referencing or homaging or heavily influenced by the original Eastman Laird Turtles. Yeah. They liked the, the the muscle mass and the grittiness and stuff. Right. And I, I'm very influenced by the Eastman Laird Turtles. And uh, that was the first time I met Kevin Eastman as well. I went by the, the IDW booth and he... Uh, fake strangled me um, because he, he said, and I'm not joking, I have a photo of him fake strangling me with his hands around my neck because he said, he was like, this is going to be such an effing cool project. Yeah. Uh, I wish I was drawing it. And then he <laughs> said, come on, let's let's get some photos, one goofy one and one normal one. And then he fake strangled me and there was a photo and he said, okay, now let's do the goofy one. And um, <laughs> because it was as if that was his real feelings. Was like, anyway. <laughs> Uh, what a great guy. Since then, we've become friends and, and have worked on stuff together and, and hung out and stuff. And that's a real lifelong yeah. dream come true as well. So It's funny because uh, real quick shout out to my buddies, Alex Kules and Andy Ligel. They used to work at Collector's Paradise in Pasadena. Andy now has his own shop in Santa Clarita. But um, I remember they're the two biggest uh, Ninja Turtle fans that I know. So when when that news was announced, Andy, I think, was working at Boom at the Boom booth. So I went over to Boom. I was like, dude, did you hear about Turtles? And he was kind of like, yeah, yeah, I heard about it. And then, <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? And then I'm like, oh, okay. And then I went over to my buddy Alex. Did you hear about Turtles? He's like, yeah, yeah, I heard about it. And then it was probably a couple of weeks until we were back home. And then I went to the shop. And I was like, and I think it, maybe it was longer than that. But I think uh samples or something had come out maybe it was when they had already put out like previews for it or something and that's when your art obviously had gone out to the public and so i was like dude did you see the did you see the preview to turtles and both of them were like yeah dude it's gonna be sick so <laughs> it's like they were kind of skeptical at first about like their pro their 
precious Ninja Turtles, you know, coming into <laughs> this project. But I think once they saw your art, they were like, oh, no, this is going to be legit. So definitely. Well, uh, I'm, definitely yeah. I'm happy to hear that I won them over. That's great. <laughs> yeah, it was just kind of funny. I was like, man, these snarky fools. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but so, I can understand their their hesitance. I mean, if especially if if they thought to look up my name and look at the type of artwork I was drawing, and I I like the art style, the previous art style I was drawing in four different projects. Um, yeah. But there, it's a much more abbreviated, uh, much less detailed sort of art style. So it's possible yeah. that they looked at that the older stuff and thought this is going to look too clean or too bad or you know what whatever they might have thought. So yeah. um, I can understand that. It was actually, I just remembered now too, before that announcement at that show, my buddy um, Alex had bought original pages from Eastman. And mm. so, so there was before your project was announced. So I like, obviously he was a huge Eastman fan and he had, you know, a page of it already. He was kind of showing me so that like when the news was announced, he was almost like, uh, like, you know, like almost like shaking a little bit, but yeah, they were turtle fans were definitely happy when they started seeing your stuff come out. How did you, did you know, did you feel that it was kind of building and did you get that sense from the fan reaction that people were really, really going to expect, like they were, they were having high expectations for this? No, I didn't. And, and by the time, you know, the first issue came out, first of all, I don't pay attention to online, like, uh, I don't know, high views or hype yeah because um it can go south pretty right. quickly and i just never want that in my brain to make me i want to do the thing that is instinctual to me or me and the the creative team and i don't want to be uh trying to cater myself or or the art style or the storyline if i'm involved with that to something that somebody said online that i have no idea who they are or what their sensibilities are you know right. uh, it could be that for them, this is going to be terrible, but it could be also that it's not really for them or they just like to complain because you get a lot of that too. So, um, no, I had no idea. So the first issue came out and I was already working on issue four and it's a six issue miniseries. So by that point, we're kind of beyond the point of retooling anything, even if we'd wanted to. Um, and I, you know, the look had already been established well in advance before that. So, no, I didn't really know about it until um, I didn't know that there was going to be so many cover variants for the first issue. Uh, oh God, so, yeah. so I got this comp box, complimentary box <laughs> of you know copies of the first issue, and I was like, oh my! I was like, this is issue one because it was like a like thirty books or something. Yeah. And um, sorry, my voice cracked like I was going <laughs> like I was like fourteen <laughs> years old again. You're excited. <laughs> I was just shocked to see that. So my wife Kiki and I like spread them all out over this table and took a photo. We're like, can you believe that this is, you know, this many variants or whatever. Um, and then issue two was almost like short run because there's a certain algorithm. I'm not aware of the specific numbers, but there's a certain algorithm that publishers, comic book publishers use. Like if the first issue sells X number, then you reduce the percentage for the issues two and then three and four. There's like a certain formula they use. And issue one, they just assumed, well, there's so many variants. That's why the, the sales are so high on issue one. And we're going to really drop down for issue two. And so issue two is actually the most, like, the first run of issue two is the most valuable of the series. Right. Uh, because uh, I guess they, they, as in the publishers, assumed that there would be a large amount of orders for issue one, but weren't sure that it would have the sort of... Uh, I don't know, longevity or the interest of actually reading it and enjoying it. So uh, issue two had to go into like four printings. 
which I've never, I, I, yeah. So there was, you know, I don't know, that's quite the compliment. We were very excited to hear that, James and I. So anyway, no, I had no idea that it would be received that well. I'm very happy that it was. And in the, you know, in the subsequent years since that, because it's been almost five years now or four and a half, whatever, um, the amount of of uh, positive feedback that I get from people, and I can tell it's genuine. I, re- I, I really appreciate it. It's, it's the best sort of feedback that, you know, an artist can get is that it's made some people want to, you know, want to want to draw their own book or uh, get tattoos of my version of the Ninja Turtles on their body, <laughs> like my artworks on their body. That's surreal to see, um, and it's you know complimentary, and I'm happy. Yeah, definitely a testament. I mean, it's one thing for the hype to kind of get built up when something's announced, but I felt like I mean that's proof right there that after the first issue came out, you know, the train was still the hype train was still rolling fast with. Uh, with how people were responding to it. And uh, also, uh, it, it must say something that there was, while you and James did this Batman Ninja Turtle crossover, there was the other one that Matt, Man- Matt Manning and John Samariva did, and that one was great too, but it hasn't it hasn't gotten to the point of getting follow-up uh, series yet. And you you and James already, already got three volumes. Yeah, um... I mean, I don't know what that says exactly. I mean, other than uh, I love, first of all, John, John Samariva is actually one of my best friends in real life. Like he's one of the Australian artists that, that I hang out with when we're there. He actually, he actually found out that he was going to be drawing that series while he was here in my, in, in my studio no uh, while we were doing, no, I'm not, not joking. They originally were going to do a justice league Ninja Turtles crossover that he oh. was going to draw. Um, and, but then they switched it to a sort of animated adventure visual, you know, uh, Batman Ninja Turtles. And I love that series. It, it yeah, looks great. Too. And yeah, it uh, even if John, who was my friend, hadn't drawn it. Um, so I, you know, what as far as like their independent uh, or, or IDW's decision on on what to publish or, you know, that they didn't do subsequent uh, series in that vein or whatever, uh, that's, you know, sort of their decisions. But I I'm happy to see that I'm uh, that that it had this alternate sort of more uh, visually cartoony or the more animated styling I thought looked great. And um, John's connection to the turtles before that made that work. But then he was homaging some of Bruce Timm's animated uh, stylings in the Batman side of things. I thought it looked, you know, great. Uh, but yeah, the fact that they're so if you count them, that's a total of four series. That's how I look at it. There's been mm-hmm. four series of Batman and Ninja Turtles material. Yeah, that, that's awesome that you and John are so close. Uh, when their series was running, uh, both John and Matt had joined us separately to to talk about that run. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I didn't know that. Um, so you you know how funny and charismatic of a person that John is. He's, oh yeah, absolutely. He has a cut up. He's a cut up. We love to when we're hanging around. We, you know, he's always, he's always got us laughing. So yeah, yeah, uh, us too. Yeah, it was a good time. Now we've we've been speaking so much about the the ink wash technique that you were using for this, but it's not the only thing you're known for. You actually wrote something like ten years ago. You wrote the DC Comics Guide to Digitally Drawing Comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, how how did that come about? How does that project uh, end up in your lap? Um, when, so shortly after I was, uh, had, had started getting work for, from DC. So whenever I was drawing, I think around the time I was drawing Robin, um, they had, 
uh, DC had approached me about doing an exclusive. So that would mean, you know, I was guaranteed a certain amount of work and then I would, you know, could not go outside of DC for, for, uh, doing illustrations and stuff. And I was excited about this, but I, at the time I had been putting together a, a pitch for a how to book about digitally drawing comics that I was going to pitch to. There's, there's a series of books about, uh, Photoshop illustrating or, or Photoshop techniques and stuff. And so I was going to take it that route. I was going to try to get into that line of books and I was still working on the pitch, though, and I hadn't started actually pitching or talking to people yet in the Adobe realm. But um, I had brought that up in my exclusive. I said, you know, is that okay? Because it's not me drawing a book, but it, I, I will be drawing examples to put into this how-to book. And that's kind of, it felt like it might be a gray area, and I didn't want to overstep any bounds. And um, the legal guy at DC that I was talking to, he said, well, why don't you just pitch it here? And I was like... Oh yeah, yeah. You guys have that have a how-to line, and it didn't even occur to me. It's like I was picturing it the Adobe Photoshop route as opposed to the in inside the comic book realm. You know the how-to. Uh, you know they have a, a how-to write pencil ink, and then they have one that was coloring and lettering together in the same book. And um, so that's how it came about. Uh, as far as me working digital, um, I was working for a small. Uh, I did a whole bunch of independent stuff that that no one's ever seen or the publishing house, you know, took the work, act like they were going to publish it and never got published and stuff uh, before getting into D.C. And uh, at the time I was working with. So this would have been in like 2000 ish, maybe 99 or something. I was working with an independent uh, writer slash editor who was very picky with what he wanted me to do. Now, partially it was because I was you know, I was not as skilled and also because he was just a picky individual. So he was always asking for these revisions and the layouts and stuff. And I would, you know, have to like erase a bunch of stuff and redraw it, or I'd have to redraw it on another piece of paper, then kind of merge it together in Photoshop. And then I just started like roughing out digitally because I thought that would be a faster way to edit stuff if he had choice or if he had changes for me to, to make. And I just kept progressing, like I'll do more detailed drawings, more like the structure drawings. And then I started just, you know, seeing if I could ink an entire panel and then page. So that's what evolved very naturally as far as me working digital. But I had no idea at the time if other artists were working digital or if they were using the same techniques or Photoshop or anything like that. Um, but by the time I was working for DC, I was the majority of my work was digital, not all of it. But the majority was, and um, I was. It, it really helps your speed for sure. Plus, I was drawing a much simpler style. Uh, style, and so um, I, after here, you know, after talking about the exclusive, I then flew to New York. That's where DC was at the time, and I brought my laptop and my little Wacom tablet and showed them, you know, a, a sort of an example of how I work. And they said, "Yeah, we love this. We, you know, we'll we'll sign you an editor, and we'll get you started." And your your DC or your sequential work will take priority, but we can work this in the background. So for you know two and a half years or something, in the background, me and John Morgan, who was my editor, uh, put together the how-to book. So it was it did come out in September of two thousand nine. So it's been it's been over ten years now that it's been out, which feels impossible, but it has been. <laughs> maybe uh, maybe also means it's time for another volume. Yeah, I would love to do that. Uh, I, I love an art book. Yeah. Of, I would love to do. I love doing how-to stuff. Um, the the art style working in ink wash is so laborious and time-consuming. It, it's difficult to 
fit in other things because if it if there's amount if there's an amount of time I have to to focus on another task, usually I could be making the current project I'm on better. So I don't have a lot of free time, and it's difficult for me to fit that in. But I I would love to do either a revised DC Comics guide to digitally drawing comics or you know, an, another approach entirely, you know, even if it wasn't connected through DC Comics. Good people of Gotham. This is Bat Force Tom's wife. Thank you for listening to Bat Force Radio. Now will you take the trash out? Fine, God, do it right now. Yeah, the next thing would be uh, the Robin 80th anniversary special that's coming out. It's coming out in mid-March, and I have an eight-page uh, story in there that uh, where Adam Beechin and I teamed up uh, again. He's the first writer that I worked with on Robin, so we're doing this eight-page story that connects back to the storylines that we were doing back then. Uh, Tim Drake is my favorite Robin, and so it's uh, great to team back up with Adam Beechin and uh, work with him on Robin again. After that, then do the covers and stuff like that. Pretty badass. Like Thanks. It. I just want to express uh, my gratitude for your hard work because um, so I'm, I'm a 90s kid, and I'm the kid who ran home after school to adjust my antenna to watch Batman the Animated Series and the Ninja <laughs> Turtles when Heck I yeah. got home. And uh-huh. it's like 20 years later, a generation later, we have a Batman Ninja Turtle crossover that you that you have visually spearheaded, and it has become super effective and relevant and fun and cool. And you know now we even got a, an animated movie, which is crazy. <laughs> you know, and three volumes, well four, you know, four <laughs> total. So yeah, um, action figures, action figures, and just you know of this cross, and it's just so awesome. So I just, I definitely wanted to you know thank you for your hard work. What have you done so far with the Batman Ninja Turtle universe? Because it's just, it, it for for you know for kids of my generation that you know were watching those cartoons, we could have never imagined something like this. And it could have went really wrong as well. You know, it's like, it's one of those things where I was so excited for it. But at the same time, I'm like, I hope, I hope it works. I hope they make it work. You know, I hope they like, <laughs> hope the story's right. I hope it works visually. And, you know, not just anybody could do that. You know, that's, that's just the truth. So, yeah, man. Th- well, you know, oh, thanks thank for your you. work, man. <laughs> and that, that's thank another you so much. Okay, you, you talked about the, that time where you found out that you were going to get to draw this series that you were going to get to cross over batman and the ninja turtles uh how did the how did it come about that you found out that what you had created uh had helped spawn this uh, this animated adaptation um i heard about it gradually like i'm trying to think of who told me but there was a couple, there would be like at a, at San Diego Comic Con, somebody whom I wouldn't know would walk up to me and say, "Oh wow," and they'd say, "I work at Nickelodeon," <laughs> like they're whispering to me, <laughs> and I'm just like, letting you know <laughs> that there's there's an animated movie in the works. They got they got and, the the McGruff trench coat and, and hat on, <laughs> and they're in the shadows in the corner. Yeah, like, hey. <laughs> yeah, and if you follow me to the bathroom, I get out. Um, Whoa, but, uh, <laughs> got dark. Yeah, that only happened once. Uh, but okay. there, there would be people who would occasionally say, you know, that they heard rumors or they knew somebody who was working on the uh, sort of style guides for the, you know, for, for the visuals or whatever of the animated movie. Um, but stuff like that can fall apart quite easily as well. 
uh, stuff can get into production for a year and still just never be made. So there was a couple of years where we would hear about it and James uh, would, would get a hold of me and say, hey, did you hear this or that? And then we saw like a rumor published online, but you know, we all know that rumors are just rumors. Uh, sometimes they're just clickbaity stuff. And uh, so I, I found out essentially officially at, with the, at the same time as everyone else. Um, but I've been hearing some rumors and stuff in the background for, I don't know, a couple of years. Um, and so James, um, and, uh, J James and I both got emailed by Jim Chadwick, our editor at the time, uh, that the, you know, that, that Jim could officially tell us that the project was definitely happening. And then like later that week it was announced online and stuff that it was happening. That, have you watched it? Mm -hmm. what do yeah. You, what did you think? We watched the day it came out. It was, um, I had... I had a, an out-of-body experience. It's the only time I've had that in my life uh, where... Aside from when someone asked you to follow them to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, it's, it's like uh, when, when I was... When Kiki and I were watching the Batman versus Ninja Turtles animated thing, um, you know, the, the setup is very similar to our Mine and James series. And right. visually, visually, it's very different, but I like Andy Kuhn. He's an artist who's who did a lot of the the sort of style guide exploration for the animated stuff. He's, he's a great artist. Um, so the art style was different, but story beats, they were hitting some of the same beats and then they get to the warehouse and there's, you know, in our comic book, there's a confrontation between Batman and the shredder where basically shredder throws down a smoke bomb and then escapes. But it's kind of like a, we're aware of each other. We're sizing each other up and now he's shredder has left. And that's about to happen in the animated thing, in the in the animated movie, and then they they start fighting, and it I felt like I that's what I had the out of body experience. It was like I was witnessing a different reality than the one because I'm very familiar with the story, of course. And suddenly I'm I'm saying the comic book version of the story, and then suddenly I was seeing a different take on it, and it was as if I was seeing a different reality. It's very it was surreal. And hard uh, for me to, to describe. So, but it was it was enjoyable to see such a, a a familiar thing be different. And that fight scene between Batman and Shredder was fantastic. And I was like, man, I wish we did that uh, yeah, so <laughs> in <good>. our comic. <laughs> and um, damn it, yes, yeah, I was like, <laughs> because I wish we had. You know, James and I kept making jokes. This was years ago that we needed, you know, like another ten pages per issue because we wanted to have more fights and all this stuff and. And that's what popped into my mind was like, I wish we had more room that we could have done a longer fight scene between Shredder and Batman. And um, so anyway, it was uh, very, it ended up going more and more different from what we had written um, or from what the the stuff that was in the first story. I should, you know, I didn't actually write. I helped to co-plot uh, some of the fight scenes and stuff like that um, throughout the series. But that was, that was about it. Um, then what had happened in our story but it was great to see a different take. The fight scenes were incredible, and I congratulate them for making such a uh, successful and, and cool animated project. So, um, it's it's really it's really strange though to say <laughs> to yeah. see it divert in that way. Strange for me because I'm so intimately connected to it. It's like watching your kids grow up and then like make their own choices. And fight each other. <laughs> <laughs> or it's no, no. It'd be like if you raised your kids and wasn't aware, uh, and then you saw a home video, and in the middle of the <laughs> video they started kung fu fighting, and you'd be uh -huh. like, 
this did not happen. I was right. there. You know, yeah. <laughs> it was more like that. You know, but there's video evidence of it right there. Yeah. Well, and uh, I, I think it speaks very highly of all the people involved that so we have four volumes of comics plus an animated movie, and none of it has been a disappointment to fans. Like none of it right. has had fans going, and eh. this sucks. <laughs> I'm yeah, I'm happy to report that. There's been there's people who have expressed uh I remember once John and I were were uh next to each other at New York Comic Con of I think it was 2017. And somebody would walk up to John and say, I love your version of the Batman Ninja Turtles. That other version is so dark. Oh, and no. I hate it. And uh, they're like saying it loud enough that I can hear, but they don't know <laughs> that I'm connected or they don't realize it or don't care. I don't know. And then the same type of thing would happen where somebody would walk up to me and say, I love your version. And I don't like the, the, the version that John had drawn. And, um, you know, other than that, I haven't really heard any negatives. <laughs> And even though, even then, when we would get that feedback, it's like you know, it's that's your preference. That's cool. But I actually like what John did, and I would, you know, gesture over to him and say, you know, he's standing right there. Uh, (laughs) I think he did a great job on you know the his styling. It's just it's different, of course. But why don't you uh, tell him yourself that he sucks? Yeah, (laughs) John standing there with his arms crossed and his muscles bulging. Like, (laughs) you say about me? No, it was it was always civil, but it was. that's probably the only negative I heard, and that's very much a uh, just a, a preference, you know. Right. I can't wait to go to the next con to see you guys sitting next to each other to say that I loved uh, your version best to each of you. <laughs> <laughs> Loud enough. On purpose. Yeah. <laughs> and and then the embarrassment that will ensue when you invite both of them to follow you to the bathroom and they see each other there. Because <laughs> <laughs> we'd both definitely accept and head that direction immediately. Man, <laughs> too trusting. <laughs> All right, lightning round question number one: New York style pizza or deep dish Chicago pizza? Uh, both. Oh, that's the first time. That's the first time everyone, anyone ever gave you that answer. That's I didn't one. know you could do that. <laughs> <laughs> Making up our own rules tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, that works. Is um, that too much of a cheat? Because that is no, how I feel. Fine. Yeah, that's, that's, that's your answer. I think answer, I think yeah. that's the American way to go, if you ask me, man. Yeah, diplomatic, <laughs> one on top of the other. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, plain or peanut M and M's? Peanut. There nice. you go. Uh, if you could have, din- uh, if you have dinner with one human being that has lived throughout history, dead or alive, who would that be? I don't have a good answer for that, to be honest. Um, Probably my wife Kiki. I, I know that that sounds like a crazy, but we there. It's so off. It's so infrequent that we just have a long, nice meal together. I would just uh, choose her. Oh wow, yeah, that's a good choice. And uh, I think maybe a second place would be that guy who received your original package that Tomasi may or may not have sent out to you <laughs> <laughs> to hear how uh, what what he's been doing with it the last fifteen years. <laughs> he's still he's still trying to finish it. He's, he's yeah. drawing his own fan fiction. <laughs> Uh, if you could have one superpower what would it be time dilation but i would still have to be able to move as fast during that time not just perception of time but um uh, and it would actually you know i would like more hours in the day essentially um yeah that'd be cool it's always the day always the deadline every artist every artist says that every okay well i'm unoriginal but it's it's (laughs) it's funny everyone else just says time control you yeah. actually made it sound cool. Make those deadlines. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He did make it sound cool. 
to that point. It's such real a quick. selfish thing, too, isn't it? Like, I'm not saying I want to be able to feed all of the starving people or uh, bring world peace. It's such a selfish thing. Yeah, I'd like no, to be yeah. able to hit my deadlines better, I they guess. Need, they need their comics on time, too, though, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good point. Help and create world yeah. peace. About that, real quick. So, it, over the years, as we've gotten the chance to talk to so many artists, one thing that I make sure to do every time I read comics now is I'll read. I'll, I mean, I did it anyway, but I, now I really make sure to read the book several times through and at least once or twice, not even read, just take in the art page by page because the common story that we always hear is how you guys are like slaving away in your offices hours and days just kind of pouring all yourselves into it. And I'm like, I can't imagine just flipping through this thing once and not like soaking it up. I feel so terrible for you guys. Yeah, I hear so. you on that one, definitely. That's awesome. I, I, that's how I read comics as well. But uh, I'm glad that you're, I'm glad that you're doing that. And thank you for the extra effort. Oh no, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Frank Miller always said that the key goal for creators in the business is to somehow slow down the reader, you know, and to get them mm-hmm. into the story. So, um, what was the best advice you were ever given, and who gave it to you? Whatever comes to mind. <clears throat> wow. The best advice ever. So this doesn't have to be, or like, or really good advice. It could if be you can. anything. Yeah. Um. Wow. <laughs> it, it's, <laughs> it's such a big question. I guess it would be. I remember being um, like, there's a certain time of year that that is uh, that makes me feel sad um, because of you know like people who have passed and just general stuff. And <clears throat> I remember being down and feeling you know, feeling sad. And I spoke to uh, my cousin on the phone and he said, uh, and this is going to be, this is going to sound really simple, but he said, it's okay to feel down. It's okay to be kind of sad or depressed from time to time, you know, and like, there's a reason that you feel that way and it's okay to acknowledge it. And to basically it's not like a weakness or if it is a weakness, it's okay to be weak sometimes to take a breather, to sort of address those feelings um, but to try not to get stuck there and to move past it, he, he said something along those lines and that it really made a big difference or a big impact to me mm. at that time. And I've tried to keep that in mind and I've told other people that same thing, who knows if it affects them the same way, but it's, it was, it was like he was giving me permission to show weakness or to not feel at a hundred percent. And I, for some reason really needed that. That's good. Yeah. Very good advice. Definitely. Um, we have a thing here where, um, our previous guest, will um, give us a question for our next guest, and then that current cast will give us the next question, you know, for the next guest and so on I, and so forth. I, I, warned, I warned him beforehand okay. that Donny Cates left a doozy. <laughs> oh, yeah, Donny Cates definitely dropped a, a ball or a rock on this one. Robin, you want to... You wanna yeah, I, I, I believe I'm quoting it accurately here. So this this is Donny Cates' question. Uh, it was actually a question that he said was sent to him for the podcast that he does with Ryan Stegman. And he was just so struck by how profound the question is that he had to share it. So it went something like this. If two guys were stranded on the moon and one guy (laughs) killed the other guy with a rock, would that be fucked up? (laughs) What? Yep. (laughs) Yeah, we we had a huge debate because I asked Donnie, well, is it... Is he killing somebody with Dwayne Johnson or is he killing somebody with a DVD of the movie with Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage? Like, it gets deep, this question. 
<laughs> no context was, at all. Was 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 the one guy there? No context. But so we we had to debate. Like, was was one guy trying to destroy the moon? So the other guy <laughs> stopped him. That would throw off the lunar cycle. No way. The tides. So he he may have been killing a guy, but was he doing it to save us all? <laughs> and and unfortunately, it's now your job to to answer this question. Yeah, I, <laughs> I do feel like I I have to, I I have to rein in one of those options, which was you had one of you had said that. Um, it doesn't mean that the rock was there. Did they try to use the rock to kill the other guy? And I, to me, that the nature of that question eliminates that possibility because it's if there are two guys on the moon and one of them uses the rock, it, it seems like that would infer that there's now a third person mm. on the moon instead of just two. Unless but, it I mean, was his carcass, then does that or, or unless uh, that's <laughs> right. the rock to be just a guy. The rock also the rock also refers to himself in the third person. So what if he's the guy that kills him with the rock? <laughs> or does does that make it six people? Uh, no, and, five people. And, if there's and the is the person. and is the rock cooking while doing this? If you know. Uh, <laughs> and what is he? <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> on 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 the moon in, in space, no one can smell what you're cooking. <laughs> Uh, I think definitively I can say I don't know, uh, but I, <laughs> that's the definitive answer. All I know that says maybe that's a that's a quote from Futurama. The the neutrals were like all I know is my gut says maybe. Nice. Um, yeah, so I I don't know. I mean that's a that's a tough question. I'm gonna say yes. I think the the killing of one dude by the other dude uh, is almost always even if they have good reason to do it. it it's still would you say messed up? Was that what? Yeah. Well, <laughs> his his up. his words were effed up. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's what his I, I think it is. Even if they yeah. have good reason, it's still pretty messed up. Yeah. 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 He, I I'd have to agree because no matter the context, uh, a murder is still kind of messed up. Mm. And uh, <laughs> before we get a question for you from you for our next guest, I forgot to ask you in the lightning round: Who is your favorite Ninja Turtle, and why? Leo. Leo. I, I've always been drawn to leaders. I was raised without a father. Mm. Um, so I'm always, I guess, psychologically looking for, I'm always drawn to leaders. Uh, so, you know, Superman, Captain America, um, though I was drawn to Spock, not Kirk and, you know, Leo fits in there. And I like the, I like the dynamic where he's the team leader, but there's still a, a father in the group of, of Splinter. Mm. Um, so I don't, yeah, Leo's always been my favorite and apparently he's like, I, I rarely hear that Leo is somebody's favorite, I guess, because he's too much of a wet blanket or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, because he's always the conscious of conscience of the team or something. He was always mine when I was a kid, but you know, I like the color blue and I like katanas. So, uh, you know, the swords were really cool. But uh, yeah, yeah I, I can't remember who this was. Uh, maybe someone listening will remember. But uh, there was a creator who had tweeted something uh, sometime within the past year, I think. And he just said randomly, if I could get rid of one of the Ninja Turtles, it would be Michelangelo. Because do we really need a party dude on the team? <laughs> Damn. <laughs> he, he, he's the kind of guy who kills somebody else on the moon with a rock. He messed up. So, uh, yeah. That, that's all, a good all this time, example. we didn't know Michelangelo was uh, the victim. Jeez. Now, <laughs> now, do you have a, can you think of a question for our next guest? Anything at all. Yeah, anything. If it helps, uh, you may have two people to 
tandem answer. Uh, if everything goes to schedule, the next people on will be Mitch Garrods and Doc Shaner. Oh, okay. All right. Um, I, I was not prepared, even though, yeah, even though Robin had told me that there was a, a, a Q&A, or not a Q&A, but a, a question that was asked by the previous and that, um, you know, that was a typical thing. I didn't think of a question ahead of time. So, so not... yeah, I, I think it's best when the questions just stem from something we talked about in the conversation. Yeah, off the top of your head. Um, describe everything that is not purple. Or can you describe everything that's not purple? How about that? Would that be good? I would be <laughs> interested to see someone grapple with that. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's the weirdest, but it almost sounds like it would make sense, but how could you? I don't know. <laughs> well, how could you answer Donnie's question? So, you know, <laughs> sometimes we it's found the questions that you can't answer that, uh, that are the most interesting. Mm, that is true. <laughs> but, uh, man, Freddie, we want to thank you so much for your time. You've you've opened up a great can of worms. <laughs> Let me tell you something with uh with Batman Team and T and everything else you do in the comic book genre, but uh it's handled it so well. And coming from a hardcore fan of both franchises, I I just I'm I'm glad that I'm happy I'm appreciative that you hopped on the show so I could express my gratitude for like really merging my you know a group of my favorite heroes together you know that I grew up with. So um, thank you so much. Can oh, can we like, just run oh, over yeah. again one more time what uh, cons people can find you at coming up? Yes, uh, for the first quarter of the year, it's going to be um, Fan Expo in Vancouver, Canada. And then after that, the amazing Honolulu, Hawaii Con. And then after that, it's the Lubbock, Texas show. Um, that will be uh, the very last day of February. This is a leap year, so February 29th and March 1st. And then um, going to the Supernova shows in Australia, and that would be in Melbourne and then Gold Coast. And then coming back here to Kansas City, Missouri, where there's Planet Comic Con. Um, I'll also be at, I think it's been announced, um, MegaCon in Florida in in April. Mm. And then there's a few other shows that haven't been announced yet. Nice. So it's, it's a busy year wow, for conventions. you're all over the place. Well, <laughs> well aloha. <laughs> hey, Gotham dwellers. Make sure to stop everything right now. And subscribe to Bat Force Radio. We can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud. Don't miss out. Guaranteed to satisfy all of your Batman and DC needs.